0: Going full Gramando, what 40 years as a writer and 20 as a teacher has taught me about style and grammar, by Walter Bann. When those dusty and molded books landed with a thud on my desk, I knew I was going to die. For as long as I can remember, I have always despised grammar. I recall many headaches in middle school in the 1980s reading, not reading, those fat green grammar books Mrs. Patterson tried her best with me, but I refused to be a grammarian. Can one even read grammar books? It's more like a study, right? I was a mere pupil, transparent, taking up space in an eyeball. Grammar then studied in isolation, like a raw kidney on a dissection table, did not set my mind to actively learn the function and structure of the English language. It seems funny looking back, but although I hated grammar, it seemed like mathematics, but that's a whole other bottle of Advil. I did love writing. I possessed a wonderful imagination, and I composed three short novels by the time I was in ninth grade The Case of the Disappearing Rock Stars, Strange Happenings on Planet Mall, and Mystery Island. I would handwrite these stories and my mom would type them out on half sheets of typing paper, and I would bind the pages together like a real book and fabricate truly horrible covers and back covers for each. I was the protagonist, of course, for all of these comic novellas, and my girlfriend in all of these novels was named, and I am sorry, Lola Bost. Again, remember my age and judge me tenderly. Just because a student struggles with grammar and spelling doesn't make that student a poor writer. It was not until early in high school that I started my big mature project, The Devil's Calling. That was 1983. It concerned a second Russian revolution in the future and dealt with such weighty topics as artificial genetic engineering, fascism, space stations, global politics, revolutionaries, real politics, and love and lust and betrayal, and some really horrible love scenes. I also predicted the fall of the Berlin Wall. Most importantly, I had to satisfy my adolescent fantasies, sitting and composing in a room all day without a thought or care to homework or grammar or geometric formulas was not the way to charm the ladies. But I wanted to become a writer, even though I still hated grammar. The Russian novel in four years was finished, 600 pages. Are there grammar mistakes in that thing? Oh, yes. But is there magic and personality and vision and voice? Well, I hope so. Yet during high school and early college, I was not a big reader, besides a large chunk of the Hardy Boy canon. While I still hated grammar, I loved the mystique and prestige of being a writer. Did I possess that genuine love of of literature yet? Ah, no. My love of someone else's words would not come until midway through college when I changed my major to English. Although I will not use the word hate now, writing at 51, there's no love lost between the two of us. I admire, respect, and so much fear grammar like handing in a research paper to a big name professor. Here you go, Dr. Bloom. Now with a master's degree in English, teaching AP language and composition, journalism and English three honors for over 20 years, as well as being published in over 40 publications well before my days here on Medium, one would hope that I have mastered Little Brown and Company. Shouldn't it be called now Little Brown and Bound? (laughs) No. We often know the grammar error in sound rather than by the rule. I usually know what is wrong when I see it or hear it. I know how to correct it, but I often find myself having to look into one of those grammar books for the correct rule or word or my Chicago Manual of Style for numbers or the AP Style book. And that's okay. This was, of course, before everything was online and, well, grammarly, which isn't always correct, right? Back in 1992, as a student teacher in a rough high school teaching seniors, I realized how much I had to learn about teaching grammar. I had one class of basic skills English. I wanted to teach the literature classes and creative writing, but as the fates and fortune would dictate, I got incarcerated with students only slightly younger than me with no interest in the language of Shakespeare. I had to relearn grammar quickly. As an undergraduate, my only C was in, in English was uh, that dreaded American English grammar and diagramming sentences from James Joyce. Hey, James Joyce is Irish. I said, can we do Hemingway? My cooperating teacher said, I suspect grammar is not your forte. I confessed that C. Grammar was definitely Mrs. Ippolito's fortress. I was consigned to the camps outside the castle. My poor grammar skills stem from a lack of patience. I would write poems instead of learning about gerund and participial phrases. I thi- I like to think of a catchy first line to a short story Well, I should have been studying the difference between who and whom. Maybe not, but that's what I was thinking. That rule still bugs me. It bugs me so much, these rules, rules, rules I have been studying on Audible and Curzon's English Grammar Boot Camp on Great Courses. It's actually great. Well, I would win a fiction contest at college for my short story, 10 Billion Footsteps, updated now on Medium as 30 million something footsteps, I could still not point out a restrictive or non-restrictive phrase. Now I can ace that. And the dangling participle or passive voice and the misplaced modifier and subject-verb agreement. I was young at 20 and I've had 30 years to practice these grammar skills. I remember pointing out James Joyce and William Faulkner and E.E. E. Cummings to undermine the importance of grammar. I trusted my editors, mostly my friends, and later a few editors, my mother-in-law, my wife, And my daughters. I later learned that Herman Melville was a horrible speller. Couldn't I just rely on my editors like the way I rely on my wordsmith daughter Nancy now? I know that writers can break the rules like an intentional fragment only after the writers have mastered the rules. It's like knowing how to construct the foundation of a house. Grammar is like a skeleton that keeps all the vitals up and working. Grammar is the essential support system, the skeleton, the structure of the language. Every game has rules, every sport has rules. In order to communicate, we must follow such rules to command our message. In graduate school, my study of rhetoric greatly helped with the structure. In fact, my AP students now apply anaphora, epistrophe, antithesis, syllogisms, and so much more. Another problem I've always had as a writer, even to this day, is a lack of critical revision. I never have writer's block. I have 100 topics a day I wanna write, and like Dickens, I can write various stories at the same time, like how he was writing the Pickwick Papers, Barnaby Rudge, and Oliver Twist all at the same time, while also a journalist. This was when he was like, what, 26? I can write quickly. Some lines just come magically. Some arrive as fresh morning dew on my face. But I am extremely impatient. I write a story, and I want that story published and off my drafts so I can move on to the next story. Unlike some writers who think rewriting is unmanly, I'm not like that at all. I just have overfocused ADD, diagnosed at 50. Like writing, I have five or six home projects spinning at the same time, like some juggling act, and it's exciting. But I realize that revision means reseeing. I now record my stories, upload them to Anchor FM, and listen in the car on Spotify. Fitzgerald would do this with his own writing, and if you listen to the lyricism of *The Great Gatsby*, you know what I'm talking about. Just yesterday on a lovely drive, my wife listened to a narrative of mine about a risky road we took in Arizona for a travel magazine. She loved it, but suggested taking out the last 400 to 500 words at the end, and ending when we safely arrived in Jerome, Arizona. She was right, and my readers hopefully will thank me, or thank my editor wife. After all, my mantra in classes omit needless words, the commandment from Strunk and White, right? I famously say, cut the fat. Essays that clock at 2,600 words can easily be shortened to 1,700 words. Writing for newspapers with a word limit of 650 words has also taught me about being concise, cutting needless prepositional phrases, adjectives, adverbs, and words like rather, pretty, really, and very, what Strunk and White call qualifiers. They are the leeches that infest the pond of prose, sucking the blood of words. And according to one editor in New York who helped me greatly with a short story, it seems like, it seems I like imagery and ambiance way too much. The first whole page was deleted, thank God. Writers influence the style of other writers, but learn to find your own voice. I eventually learned to stagger my sentence structure. I went from a Hemingway style to a Henry Jamesian style to a James Joyceian style, then to a Vonnegut, Hunter S. Thompson, Thomas Wolfe thing. Then somewhere at the end of graduate school, I found my own style, my own voice, even if that voice resides in the unpoetical tropics of South Jersey. Be authentic, right? It is difficult, however, not to be overly influenced by writers we devour. I read, I admire, I adapt, I study, but I try to make it my own. Lately, I've been learning a lot of tricks from Jane Austen and Charles Dickens. After all, I love satire. My professors have asked me what I liked about my writing. I said I have a good sense of ear and sight, not as good as the vernacular of Twain, but the characters seem real when they speak. Readers have told me I have a good sense of dialogue. I'm good at sensory imagery and irony and parlor tricks like chiasmus, reversing the normal word order like kisses sweet instead of sweet kisses. Numerous times I would write conversations down in my journal. I could be at a restaurant or a train station or a pub and I'm transcribing away, incorporating the exact wording for my stories. I debated the ethics of this with my AP students one year. Jeremy said I was soul robbing or something like that. It was a great debate with the class divided. We even did a rap battle in class with the pros and cons of such an enterprise. Sometimes it's just a matter of preference on when to use the first person. That's why I think a much better creative writing than critical writing. I prefer teaching informal writing like the narrative essay versus the research paper. For a long time, I thought critical papers were sterile and impersonal, scientific and formal, yes, but they can be full of voice and personality too. We are told over and over never to use the I voice. Then we read critical essays on Hawthorne and Whitman and these critics are using the I voice. What other voice could I use other than my own? That's a line paraphrased poorly from Henry David Thoreau and taken to the extreme with my poet angel, Walt Whitman. I was born and he was buried within 200 yards of each other in Camden, New Jersey, and we are both Walters. Coincidence? No. Oh, those little brown handbooks. In 1999, when I first started teaching freshman honors, after a long stint away from public school teaching, I did pull them out from time to time. Then I realized, let's learn grammar by writing. You learn baseball by playing baseball. You learn to dance by dancing. You learn new words by reading lots of stories. Vocab quizzes and SAT-like selected response quizzes completed in isolation are neither effective nor fun. Plus, Scantron tests terrify many different learners, like me, creative ones who want meaningful assessments, not ones that are easy to grade through a machine. As a sophomore in English 1 Honors, I was told before the class I was not honors material. I should move a step down for the sophomore year. Talk about shame. Why? Because a vocab quiz of 200 words to memorize overloaded my circuits, and those stupid quizzes were 50% of the grade. Did the teacher ask why I had such an extensive vocabulary? Was it because I was actually reading books about Russia for the novel I was writing? This is how one builds vocabulary. Looking at grammar in context, examining your writing under a microscope, and surgical strikes to the pros, like checking for comma usage or passive voice, can be effective. Also, checking your sentences for parallel structure, for coordination and subordination, for dramatically short sentences, and for loose and periodic sentences, that's the way to create sentence variety, not a Scantron quiz. Just saying, but hey, what do I know? The nostalgia in those dreaded grammar books makes me reconsider the weight of grammar. The smell and texture of those middle school textbooks in the 1980s kept me from ever wanting to open them. They were not user-friendly. Those books are long gone. Grammar lessons are now online and can be helpful. Such lessons have no smell, no texture, no weight, nor any gravitas. But those books did teach me a lesson. Grammar is important the way math is important. Both hold our thoughts and universe together with agreed upon community rules like stop signs and road signs. We can manage and obey most of those, right? But unlike the laws of the universal language of math, languages are living, and double and triple negatives were once okay. Just check out Shakespeare. Two negatives do not make a positive. In math, yes, but if I write, I don't see nothing wrong with this sentence, your immediate response response is, not to think the opposite, right? Grammar, like language, evolves. It changes. Eventually, however, I want to be my own Max Perkins, the editor who turned the musings of F. Scott Fitzgerald, Ernest Hemingway, and Thomas Wolfe into master writers, or at least have the money and prestige to hire a Max Perkins. Don't fear grammar, my friends. And if you see an error here, Dear editing fairies, let me know. I ain't perfect. Judge tenderly of me. Thank you for listening. Follow me on Medium, Walter Bowne.